You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, Luke Hector here. Sorry that I didn't record this episode last week. Um, two reasons for that. Firstly, I was at Handycom, a convention which I'll talk about a bit later, so I wasn't around to record it. And secondly, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot that that was two weeks after the previous one, because I did one, I think, at the start of the year, to my knowledge, I can't recall. And then uh, two weeks later, I thought, okay, that's coming up at some point. It's like, when is that? But with all the weekend excursions I've had lately and still to come, I kind of lost track of when the next podcast was meant to be. So this one's a week late and we're two weeks from here. I mean, you know, we're just going to go with that. It's the best way I can do it. But you know, there's quite a lot of times when I'm away on a weekend in the next few weeks as well, so I will have to space out the podcast a little bit, maybe skip a week, record it early, I don't know, I'll have to try something else, but yeah, sorry about that, uh, but this is recorded 28th of January 24, it's in the morning, I've had a bit of a lie-in, so probably my head is not going to feel great, because I seem to get headaches whenever I have lie-ins, or don't get enough, don't get a proper, like, normal night's sleep it's kind of weird but you know that's just that's my fault that is my own doing because i stayed up late last night binge watching uh the last couple of episodes of has been hotel that i've been really enjoying and i binged the entire masters of the universe revolution series on netflix which i was a bit disappointed that it was only five episodes but i mean it's fine i've did a review of it on my Facebook. It's it's decent. It's a lot better than the disappointing first series that they brought out, Revelation. That was a bit of a letdown. But uh, this one seemed like it went back on form and tried to do some things right. But it still has some issues. Uh, but yeah, other than that though, blog still pretty good actually. I mean, we're all, we're at twenty two four hundred, so we're going pretty strong. The top one hundred has been progressing nicely. You know, not as many views as last bunch of top 100s which is kind of weird maybe people are starting to get a little bit zoned out on top 100s i mean i mean they are doing well but i swear they've done better before <laughs> but yeah i don't know maybe that's maybe in the future it will have to be like top 50 or something or maybe just focus on top 25 we'll see but you know for now the top 100 is still going so at the moment released is the 60 to 41 batch i have recorded the 40 to 21 batch i just need to edit that and i'll get that out this week along with the review for age of rome um, I've done the review for that, so that one should be edited as well. Hopeful for release this week, because I do have a couple of excursions on the horizon that are going to suck up some of my time, one of which is this, well, the following weekend I'm visiting some friends in London, but this weekend I'm spending time in Iceland again. Uh, Hilmar, who you would have seen on a couple of my vlogs and top 10 last year, has invited me up to his game retreat. Um, I don't know much detail about it, but basically a, you know, a hotel retreat to play board games. And it's like, okay, it's a bit of a mission to travel there. I mean, bear in mind, i got to go from here to Heathrow, then Heathrow to I then all the airport nonsense, then Heathrow to Iceland, and then a couple of hours to wherever Hilmar lives over there. And then we got to go to the hotel in the morning. It's like, it's a bit of a travel, a bit of a lot of travel there. But, you know, he, he, was, he was willing to have me over. And I figured, you know what? It's Iceland. I do like 
I do like it from last time. Not really going to get to do any sightseeing this time around because I'm literally only there for like the Friday and the Saturday and part of Sunday because I need to get back to work on Monday and I have no more holiday to use up before the end of April. So, you know, I have to be, I have to make sacrifices where I can. So I'm not there for very long. So it's not like I'm going to be doing like sightseeing lagoons or something at some point i will go back to iceland and do a proper sightseeing trip but uh at the moment it's mainly game related while i'm there but that should be fun but that's going to suck up me for thursday night through to sunday so i need to get stuff edited before then so that you've got some content this week for me to do um but on the horizon uh horizon let's see what do we got uh Obviously, I finish off the top 100. I need to do the top 10 anticipated games list. Um, that can wait until early Feb, I think, because the, the anticipated list doesn't really make a difference if you do it early or later in Jan and Feb, because very little gets released in Jan and Feb. So you could make an anticipated list at the end of February, and it would still be as valid as the one that was at the end of January. So that one doesn't need to be rushed out as much. But I will get one done, so that's that's definitely a thing. Uh, what else uh, we got? Uh, there's review. Well, I've contemplated whether to do reviews for things like World Wonders, Fox Experiment, and Do Not Rising. I don't know. It's just time is a little bit low because I mean I've got a cruise later in February as well. So yeah, those might I might do podcast reviews of those, maybe similar to what I'm doing today. But full videos we'll have to see. Uh, but what else is there? Oh yes, Last Light. Finally got Last Light in uh, a review copy. So finally, I can see whether the hype train was right on that one, because that one has uh, been pretty much impossible to get out of my subconscious lately with the amount of times that I see Roy Cannaday publicizing it on, on social media and that. So at this point, I now need to dive into it and see whether all this hype is justified or it's a bit overrated. But we'll see. You know, give it the beans and give it its fair share. Uh, Mythwind uh, was delivered to me recently, so I've been playing that solo. Uh um, it's, well, um, <laughs> I'll give my thoughts on it when I do a full review, but suffice to say, I'm not quite jumping on the I love this bandwagon as a few people are. Um, there are problems, and it really does depend on what you're willing to put up with, but yeah, we'll get onto that uh, at some point in February. Uh, is there anything else particularly important? Wormspan is a maybe. Uh, I'm not getting a review copy of it, but because obviously, you know, patrons are going to want it and obviously, I, you know, the funds that they help help get the copies that I can't get for a review. Uh, somebody, I think, has kindly said that they will purchase the game for me as a Stonemaier champion and then ship it to me. So I just pay them for the, I pay them for the m money for doing it. But that would mean I could probably get a copy of Wormspan in February to do a review on. So yes, it won't be an official review copy, but it will still be as good as because uh, otherwise I don't think we get a retail release here until end of March. And by that point, you know, nobody will really care. All the other people will be saying it's fantastic and it's come out and stuff. And it's like, no, no, let's get me honest opinions on it when it comes out early. So that should be something on the horizon. So, yeah, plenty to come. But also, I just seem to be the busiest man in February and January at the moment. I mean, you know, my mum's 70th, HandyCon, uh, going to Iceland, visiting friends in London, uh, going to um, Netherlands on a cruise. I mean, literally, I think I've got one spare week in February, a uh, weekend, and one spare weekend is this weekend in January. And I wouldn't exactly say I've been able to do what I want to do. I've had to obviously record videos and edit stuff, but I've also had to do a ton of chores around the house, uh, put stuff on eBay. I mean, those 
giant crates up there. They're finally on eBay and the board game trading uh, Facebook group to try and sell those off. So I'm trying to sell off all my legendary content and the Eldritch Horror and Arkham Horror 2nd Edition stuff in there. Not cheap because there's a ton of it out there and most of it's out of print, but I needed to get those online. It took a long time to catalogue what was there and get the auctions done. And today I'm limited on time as well. So we'll just have to see how things go. I'm trying to squeeze in a lot, but what's made easier is the fact that very little gets released in Jan and Feb, which means I can take my time to a little bit of an extent. But, you know, we should hopefully be able to wrap up the top 100 or so in February, because once I've edited this one and put it out, I should only have to do two more videos for the top 100, and I should easily be able to get those out in February. So end of February will be the latest that the top 100 gets finalized. So that'll be good to put that to bed for a while. And yeah, we'll just see how things go. So, okay, on with the show. What have we got? Well, I got a couple of reviews because obviously I don't have time to do everything on video review because otherwise I'll just hit burnout again. So I have to take the stance as to when am I going to do a full video for certain game reviews? And I'm just going to have to cherry pick ones that are either not as popular or, you know, don't require as much for me to talk about, don't require a ton or maybe don't have a lot of... Uh, you know, funny skits for me to, you know, think of with doing the video. So the podcast, I think, is going to be used for doing some of those reviews, which means the titles of the podcast are going to be a little bit weird as well, because I normally just put the random saying on there. But the random saying, when you try and search for it on Google, means nothing, you know, just giving it a random joke thing. So I might take a leaf from the Angry Joe show where he puts this massive long title in the thing to say what's actually in it. So I can say the reviews of these games and then there'll be the tagline in the thumbnail. So that'll probably work better from a search perspective, you know, SEO. But, yep, I've got a couple of games here from a Mr. Steve Finn. Or, or well, Steve Finn, it's from Dr. Finn Games. And uh, for those, the uninitiated, Dr. Finn, if I can get this screen up here to work, essentially has done a, not that many games, but a few games of note, and generally smaller stuff. And people will mainly recognize him from things like uh, Biblios, and Biblios Dice. Um, Biblios is a really cool filler game uh, that I still have in my collection, actually, and still like to bring out every now and again uh, with a very cool sort of two-phase system, a bit like how For Sale works. And this is probably his best work, although I didn't realize he was a, um, involved with stuff like Herbaceous and, oh yeah, he co-designed Herbaceous along with Eduardo Barov. Okay, and same with Sunset Over Water. Okay, so there's a couple of uh, little games there. Curious what else he's done. Let's see. Biblios Dice, Biblios Quill and Parchment, because obviously that's his thing. Uh, Alpajaris, we'll get onto that in a minute. Fisheries of Gloucester, Cosmic Run, I know nothing about that game. Let me know in the comments what Cosmic Run is about, because I barely heard of it. The Feds. You know, there's a lot of these little games that very few people will have heard about, but he's done some nice small stuff. Uh, the Little Flower Shop, Nanga Parbat, you know, um, yeah, we'll see. Like I say, if there's any Dr. Finn fans in the comments, it'd be interesting to see your thoughts as to some of the games. But I've got a couple of his games here to review, so thanks for the review copies. And I figured I would cover them on the podcast, because there's only so much I need to say about these ones. So we'll start off with the Fisheries of Gloucester. And I must admit, the first time I saw that title, do you know what the first thing that came into my mind was? Who's watched the IT crowd um, with, uh, you know, the comedy series with them and remembers the final episode where i forget his name but the the character does the 
YouTube's uh, board game YouTube show, and everybody likes to show me that as a kind of piss take. But you know, the, the guy goes on there going, "This is a uh, the Fields of Qatar or some some stupidly boring bland name or something." And as soon as I heard Fisheries of Gloucester, that skit immediately came to mind because I mean, it's not exactly the I mean, it's not a place name or a name that suddenly strikes, oh, yes, amazing, Fisheries of Gloucester, but especially not Gloucester. But this is a nice enough location, but it's just like, yeah, <laughs> of all the places in the world you could pick. But this is essentially, um, that's a, like a minor funny thing, but this is a two-player only game where you basically sail ships across a map in order to pick up fish of different types. And then as you pick up these fish, you're able to fulfill little gold cards and put them in for victory points, um, which are essentially the cogwheels. So your ships will sail across this map. They'll pick up the fish. They'll eventually land on an island. The further they go, the more points they're worth. And it's pretty straightforward in terms of its rule set. Essentially, you have three ships that you move. And as you move the ships, um, it takes so much time to like move a ship. And you've only got so much time in a round. But you can't move the ship so far that it goes way too fast past your previous ship. I forget the exact rule, but basically you can't send one ship into the distance and leave the other two back forever. You have to actually get them to move sort of somewhat in sync. But essentially it's six rounds and you have a certain number of hours to perform the action. So you chart a course by laying the blue tiles down on the map in order to let your ships go through. You have to sail the boats and then you have to catch the fish. And that's kind of... All there is to the actions, it's not a complicated game whatsoever. You know, the gold cards are pretty straightforward. You just have to meet the conditions of have so many of a type of fish or so many different types of fish. You know, it's not that certain fish are more rarer than others. It's just the fact that when you're doing the gold cards, you sometimes need the same or different fish. And you know, the, the Tetris pieces are purely there just to chart the course. You know, it's very difficult to go through rough w waters and that. This little tile here is essentially the marker to say that your ship can't go further than this point. So it tracks it fine. And obviously you can use uh, routes that other people have, the other person has charted, but you also can't, um, you know, you also get in each other's way and you're racing each other to the fish. So it's a, it's a neat little game. It's very simple and very easy. The component quality is fine. I mean, this is a basic cardboard and some wooden fish and the artwork is, Decent on these two player boards, but the artwork on here, I mean, I've seen better water. I mean, if anything, I think the cover is probably the nicest looking in here. I think the cover and the player boards look cool, and the map just looks a little bit generic. But, you know, you get a decent amount of bucks. It's not a big box. It's small. It's compact. 45 minutes on the timer. That's kind of accurate. You are playing this as a 30 to 45 minute filler. It doesn't take very long at all. Um, it's definitely not the most thinky game in the world, but you are... Like, you have a bit of turn anxious to, oh, is he going to nick this thing before me? Are you going to get in my way? And overall, it, it plays fine, but it doesn't, it doesn't wow me per se. It's just, it's another two-player game that is nice and decent, but I don't think this, this isn't going to measure up to other two-player games out there. I mean, I think, like, Cosmos two-player games are going to be better. You know, Targi and Imhotep the Jewel and, you know, Jai, uh, no, Jaipur is not Cosmos, but, you know what I mean, you know, Jaipur, you know, Splendor Jewel, Patchwork, you know, Great Plains. You know, there's a lot of these other two-player games I think I would rather play than, than this one. But this one is fine. You know, if you can pick it up quite cheap, you know, at a local shop or on a bring and buy, something like five, ten pounds or something, you're getting a decent game for your money. And it's, you know, it's 
the it, it does the job i think is what i can really say about it uh apparently this is a relaunch so i think it must have come out a few years ago as a different like edition and now this is kind of like a reprint of it so fine at least it will be more in the public eye weight 2.0 i don't really pay much attention to that but you know it is a light game and it's only two players so if it if it takes your fancy then by all means grab it i just i don't think it's amazing i'd probably give it a six out of ten it's decent, it's above average, it's fine and it'll do the job, but I don't think it's got, it hasn't really got anything new or anything that stands out in it. It kind of knows what it wants to do and it achieves what it wants to do without any major flaws. It just doesn't really shine, you know, it's not like pushing the envelope, there's not a huge amount of uh, like variation in the game. I mean, you can flip the board over to have a slightly different layout and sort of mess around with the placement of the rough water so it could create some interesting setups i guess but you don't tend to notice it as much and being only two player it's this or nothing so you know, there's no solo mode there's nothing else like that so it does the job i just don't think it's quite amazing but by all means give it a look six out of ten i would give it it's above average it's fine just nothing amazing so the next one that um, I have got is a slightly bigger game in terms of its box size so this one is uh, certainly a bit more giant in its sense, uh, same sort of artwork in that, and I have no idea if I'm pronouncing this right, Alpujaris. <laughs> I'm going to assume that that is uh, what the title is, but <laughs> I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation. So this is a one to four player game, 45 to 60 minutes, this is about an hour, you know, you're looking at about an hour, and this is definitely more complex than Fisheries of Gloucester. Now this one intrigued me a bit more than the other one, mostly because one to four players, fine, um, and it was a game I'd never heard of, apparently this is another reprint or re-implementation re of something else, so it's like, I have no idea, and you'll notice on the screen it says things like re-implemented by Alpujaris Express that basically each of these two games has got like a mini pack for an express version of the game that is played with like two players only or something I have not even opened those I mean they, I'm not interested in these weird little express ones but you, you're essentially getting two games for your buck when you buy any of these you know you're getting the normal game and then the really funny funny sorry a, a really sort of cheap and portable travel version of it so it's like you know what <laughs> a bit more value for your buck but this one is more of a game where you are trying to fulfill deliveries and get the right fruit to be delivered to earn the most money while all your opponents are messing around with the same fields and getting in your way maybe racing you to certain deliveries but the crux of this one is the fact that it works with the timer track that I've seen in a few games, which I do quite like. Uh, some people, I, I think Tom Vassell referred to it as, um, not the ratchet, was it the ratchet mechanic? I'm not sure, but uh, but basically it's, it's the one where your turn sequence is based on who's at the back. So you have this row of tiles around the board, depending on player count. They're set up in a certain way. And so whoever's at the back is the one who moves. You move as far forward as you like, you can't go backwards, and whoever's at the rear is the person whose next turn it is. Very simple mechanic, and it's a very good one. I think it works well in a lot of games when it's utilized, things like Takedo, um, and, uh, oh, what's that one? Um, Francis Drake, and uh, even the deduction games I mentioned, like Search for Planet X, and um, stuff, what was the other one? Search for Planet X, and, oh, Archaeology, yeah, right behind me, and I used it. So, it's a cool mechanic, and I do like it, even if it doesn't really make thematic sense. But you essentially move along this track, and it gets you certain bonuses as you go through. But you will also land on these harvest, or, um, sorry, these market or harvest spaces, and you ideally want to land on all of them. And the idea is, is that 
these fields in the middle are populated with fruit and with the fruit uh, you put your meeple farmers on the fields you collect the fruit uh, when you harvest you get to harvest um, the primary fruit in each field if you have the majority of farmers there um, you also have to sell them to the market which involves getting the fruit in your possession and then meeting the deliveries that you can have so you've got these delivery cards in the top middle here where they're just cheap money but deliver what's on there and you're fine but what you're also trying to do is to match the tokens that are in the various fields you put one of your farmers from the field into there spend the fruit take the token and it's worth more money like that's the the bigger money earner but these deliveries are also good to do some very cheap and easy ones so you could actually spend a lot of your time just focusing on getting a little cheap easy deliveries because when you move your farmer to the field it's no longer in the field for other reasons so you could actually use the strategy of doing quick deliveries and stay in the field versus doing the big deliveries and both strategies seem to work from what i've seen but that's essentially pretty much the game um you the rest of the track is just different bonuses that you can get you know you irrigate these uh water channels which spawns more fruit gets you these little cogs they call them norians norias n-o-r-i-a i have no idea what that's supposed to be i mean they call them money durheims and i'm sure it's obviously just something to do with the region because i know nothing about this region i mean what's it say on the box here the great arab agricultural revolution um, the landscape of the Alpajaris Centaur World of Bounty, uh, hillside villages, and that's all it really says on the back of the box. I have no idea about Arab farming, I know nothing about the location or the history, so I'm sure this all makes dramatic sense, but I just call it coins and cogs, because that's as much as I know of the ignorant self that I am. But this game is well produced for what you get in the box. I mean, look at this. This is... If I if I decide not to keep the game, I'm not sure I want to sell it if I ever didn't... If I decided to sell it, I would probably not. I would probably just scrap the game and keep the pieces because the pieces are brilliant in this. I mean, the cards are very nice, colourful artwork. I mean, fruit always looks nice. The graphic design is very straightforward. It's not difficult to ascertain what anything means on the board. But these fruit pieces, big chunky wooden pieces let's see if i can get to is this really all the imagery there is um okay maybe i can nope that's tabletopia i suppose that's as good as i'm going to get zoomed in here we go so these are big chunky wooden fruit pieces grapes apples lemons oranges berries they're shaped like the actual fruit it's not just round discs except for the orange and yeah and that's and they look great and the whole bag is taken up with these big wooden pieces I would use them in other games. I mean, I wonder if you could use them in... Um, Wingspan has cherries, but that's it. Uh, you wouldn't be able to use them in that. But any other game that uses a lot of fruit, I mean, these pieces, I would love to be able to just buy a bag of these pieces separately and use them in other games. They're really that good. The cogs, again, they're wooden pieces as well. They fit the bill. They would work in any other game that uses it. Everything else is pretty basic cardboard. I mean, the cardboard tiles, the cardboard money, the cardboard irrigation pieces. Oh, you got meeple farmers, so they're wood. And the mule is wood, so... It's a good combination here, but considering that this is a small box game from a what is essentially an indie publisher, this is actually well produced for what you get, and it does look colourful. I mean, it may look a little bit scatterbrained with the way the fields look, but that's just the way the fields look in that area. You don't have to separate the fields out by paths or anything like that. It's just the green field is the green field, the purple field is the purple field. So you've only got to look at the field and the village next door to it. The channels are in the middle, so it's very easy to follow where things are and what meeples are in what and what delivery tokens are left. So it's a very straightforward game to play 
and teach. And it's even got very good turn summary aids for how you spend the cogs and what your turn is and what the main icons do. Again, I mean, big publishers can't even put decent reference aids in their game. And this indie publisher here, Mr. Finn, puts in perfect reference aids for a game that requires it. You should never really need to look in the rule book with these aids and having taught the game. It's not a difficult one at all. You might look at the back of the book for what the goal cards do, but they're pretty self-explanatory when you look at the pictures and when you look in the book to confirm. Oh, they look in the, they look in the book to confirm. The gameplay is actually quite good as well. Again, this isn't pushing the envelope. This isn't necessarily uh, bringing in a massive like changing gaming, it's what you've seen before, but it is very smooth. It takes about an hour, it shouldn't take longer than an hour. The mechanics are still good with the turn angst because you're like, well, I could move far to here, but then I'm giving Red two goes in a row, that might be a bad thing, but then I really do need to get to that delivery spot and do that before he comes in and usurps me. Uh, maybe I can go a little bit further, maybe I should hang back. And that always works well. But even the market deliveries are quite interesting because, you, like I said, you can go to the villages or you can just do the quick deliveries. You can do one of each, but unfortunately you probably, you know, I suppose that actually does kill the idea of doing the deliveries. I mean, you could go to the market and not do a normal tile delivery, but it, it's tricky to make it work unless you do a lot of other things as well. But yeah, you're, you're restricted to doing only one of each delivery and one of each tile. So yeah, you wouldn't be able to spam the deliveries I haven't tried that myself, it's just that thought came to me earlier and it's like, no, actually that doesn't work. But what you do have is this little market here where the fruit gives you bonus money if you deliver that particular fruit at that time and then it resets and moves the rest up. So you've got a timing aspect of, well, I could deliver five lemons, but if I deliver three oranges, yeah, I don't earn as much for that tile, but I can always do the lemon one later and I get bonuses because the orange happens to be on the two money spot. So maybe I should just do that for now. And it makes life harder for the other players because they now have to save up a lot more oranges. This sort of stuff comes into play. The race for the goals, I mean, they are diminishing returns. So, you know, you'll want to do those as often as you can. The irrigation in the middle can spawn more fruit. So suddenly the field that you had that only did cherries and oranges can now suddenly do apples and lemons and maybe even more oranges. It's, it's got a decent amount of depth to it without being overcomplicated, and it really doesn't take up a lot of space. This, what you see here is everything you need. You could fit this on a very small rectangular table without any problems. Hell, this would probably fit on a coffee table. It's, because all you really need is the board and the tiles around it. You could put the cards wherever you need to, the supplies could just be in pots somewhere, and all you have in front of you is a turn aid and your farmer meeples. That's it nothing else you have to, no cards to play nothing needs to go in front of you apart from the money and the tokens you collect so you could play this on a pretty small table uh you know it's probably not quite travel size i mean it is fairly mm, sizable for that but it's still it has that thing now again it's not pushing the envelope it's not doing anything drastically different but i was quite surprised that this was actually still a decent little game now you do have a couple of little variants that you can throw in i've not done the express one and i've not used the variants i've only played this as a normal game uh, to see what it was like and and solo mode you can play the solo and solo actually works quite well because the way the solo mode works is that you essentially have like a, a second player who you know moves it moves along the tile so obviously you you know it gets in your way uses up tiles plugs up fields and stuff like that but the 
crux with it is that you have to deliver all the types of fruit by the time you get round, otherwise you auto lose. You only have a certain amount of times that you're allowed to take a double turn in the row, so you always have to alternate the turns, which means that you might not be able to do certain actions unless you spend the double turns and they're a finite resource. But you know, the, the fact that there's an auto-lose condition that when you have to deliver a different type of fruit, if you can't deliver a type different type of fruit, then you just lose outright. I've delivered lemons, oranges, and grapes. Ah, I can't deliver cherries or um, uh, whatever the other one is. Uh, now, I can't do cherries and oranges right now. What am I supposed to do? Lose. And that's it. And so you've got this, you've got to earn the points, but then you've also got to not get kicked out of the game. And it makes the solo mode quite interesting actually it's you know if anything this game's probably better to play on solo than in two player with the variant and yeah there is a variant for the dummy player and two players and possibly three four player is pretty cutthroat with this i mean the tiles flip over to reveal more spaces in the four player but yeah it gets pretty cutthroat with those turns with four players and it still doesn't take much longer frankly so you know this game scales pretty well you know from solo to four i think it's better at solo and three to four than it is at two but i think it still works at two it's well produced this is a good little surprise um again it's not pushing the envelope but it's got a lot of stuff going for it and i would give this a seven out of ten i would give this a seal of endorsement and say that you could actually have a decent amount of fun with this game you know it kills an hour for a euro style simple game that honestly you could teach to it's not gateway level, but it's certain... I mean, is it? I don't know. Is it, I can't imagine it's that far from gateway level. I mean, it's you collect fruit and you trade them in for delivery tokens. I mean, how hard can that be to teach? It certainly is for light gamers. If they're not used to games, then maybe after they've played a gateway game, they could jump straight onto this one. But this surprised me. 7 out of 10. It's a good game. Maybe it could even go up in the future. Maybe it could even reach an 8. But it's... It was very enjoyable, it's well produced, very simple, it ticks a lot of the boxes. So, out of the two, I would definitely give the thumbs up to Al Pajaris. Uh, if you're planning to try one of these games, I would definitely recommend that one. I think this one is, this is up there with Biblios as probably one of the better games I've seen from uh, Dr. Finn Games. You know, this, is, this was surprising, because I wasn't expecting much, and it turned out to be, hmm, it's doing a good job, so... A celebratory swig of coffee, and we'll let that one go. All right, so that's uh, that's basically how these reviews would work on here. I show some pictures on the screen, I talk about the game, give my thoughts, give a verdict, and move on. You know, I, I can't do every video, I can't do every review as a video, so the podcast is going to pick up some of the slack. Not to mention, it would actually give me some stuff to actually talk about on the podcast because I run out of ideas quite quick. So let's talk about HandyCon. Okay, HandyCon. HandyCon, briefly, was the convention I went to last week. This is hosted by Paul Harris. Uh, everybody loves him. <laughs> and the idea is, is that it's held in Milton Keynes, which, uh, as much as I like the convention, I hate Milton Keynes. Because <laughs> Milton Keynes has is, is got some things that I hate about it. Mainly, the travelling to it is a pain. It's two and a, bit, two and a half hours, which is kind of that cusp of, it's not a short journey, but it's also a long journey. Um, but it also forces me to go up the A3, and then onto the M25, and then on the M25. One, unless I go all the way up past Oxford, which is a bit of a detour, and I hate the M1 and I hate the M25. Always, there's average cameras or speed like congestion or some idiot crashes. Something happens on those roads every single time, and it is never a smooth journey. And lo and behold, this was no different, particularly with the storm on the way back. So yeah, I hate traveling to this convention. 
and Milton Keynes is just full of roundabouts, which means that you sort of can't get up to speed ever because you go roundabout, roundabout, roundabout. It's constantly roundabouts. It, uh, the location's not my favourite, but the convention is still really, really good. This one um, essentially is a gathering of friends. They are hosting way too many of them during the year, and now I can't possibly go to every single one. You know, I mean, we've just had HandyCon 11. They've got a charity day at the end of March. They've got uh, another weird sort of double one. Uh, HandyCon double six, I'm not entirely... S oh, yeah, HandyCon 12 in April. They're then going to do 13 in August, and then they're going to have 14 in October. It's like, Jesus Christ, they host this a lot. I'm surprised he has the time to do it, frankly. But, hey, fair enough. Now... I don't, I'm not going to be at the charity day. I don't know if I can make HandyCon 12. I, if I can, it might have to be only two days. And I don't know if I want to travel all the way to Milton Keynes for only two days. Because the problem is, is that I have no more holiday to use. I have to use up holiday for this cruise to go to Iceland. And for my 40th birthday um, outing with the family at the start of April. So I can't spare any more days. So I can't take the Friday off. And do I want to go all the way to Milton Keynes just for Saturday and Sunday? I don't know. I'm a little bit uh, worried about that. But I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. It's, it's something I'm just going to have to decide at the last minute. So we're touch and go about HandyCon 12. At least, you know, whether I'll attend for the full thing or just not at all. Uh, but certainly I suspect I'll be available for HandyCon 13, probably 14. Although we do have this problem at work where they've changed the year end. And so they're just giving me holiday entitlement for the period as opposed to letting me buy holiday and stuff. It's caused a bit of controversy at work and I think they've done it somewhat dodgy, but it means that I'm not going to have as many holiday days available to me up till December. And that means I've got to use up a ton of them to not only have December off for Christmas, because we still have this archaic thing where we have to take three days of our holiday off just to have the Christmas break. But it's offices. The office sector doesn't open in the Christmas period. So why do we have to use up our holiday? It's stupid. But then I've also got to go to Wesson. That uses up six days of holiday. So that's quite a lot. Um, it, it's just, it's a little worrying. And UK Games Expo and stuff like that as well. So there's a lot of stuff that requires my holiday. And work is kind of screwing me over in this regard. Not happy about it. But Maybe they'll listen to some feedback and change it slightly. I'm not sure. I told them my thoughts. I gave them what for, and it doesn't sound like they've cared one way or the other. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how this progresses. But that being said, that's a side thing. So, HandyCon itself, Delta Hotel, Milton Keynes. The hotel is fine. It's got decent rooms. The food could be better. They do do a very good four-hour happy hour thing for filtered coffee, which I do like. Although, a little feedback for you, uh, Paul. I might have to drop you a line or something. Um, when they do this happy hour for filtered coffee, can you please make sure to get a decaf option? I don't drink caffeine anymore. Or at least I don't directly drink proper caffeine. So the fact that I had to constantly ask them nicely if they could just do me a decaf out of their machine because they didn't do a decaf on, on those jugs, that was kind of annoying. They, they I mean, it's they're obviously putting cheap coffee in those things. I'm sure you can get a cheap decaf coffee. It's not that hard. Um, but that's that's a little bit of feedback. <laughs> I know that's a first world problem, but hey, I'm, I've quit caffeine. You know, I only drink decaf and take green tea extract tablets. I don't drink proper caffeine anymore, not since I went on this, uh, you know, acid reflux diet. But, you know, these are, it's a good convention, very friendly, the volunteers do a good job of running it, and it, you know, is 
one where you get quite a few of the big games played. I mean, I saw some Voidfall games, there were some Dwellings of Elder Vale, we played some Hegemony games, because every convention in the UK has Hegemony games played. Uh, there was some big stuff planned, you know, big events, like big giant heat games and that. So there is a lot of cool stuff that goes on here, and even some exhibitors and playtesting takes up, and they support a charity with their bring and buy. So it's a decent kind all round, really. It's just nice, friendly, and does the job. So what did I do there? Well, I didn't play a single new game. No, I did not play a single new game. I just played games that I was teaching or winged it. And when I winged it, I ended up playing games that I'd already played anyway. So the newest game I probably played was probably Hybris. Um, and Hybris is a game that I have played before, so that wasn't new. But it was going back into it. And Hybris Disordered, uh, Disordered Cosmos is a... A decent game, actually. It's a bit of a surprise hit for my mate who has it. Uh, obviously, like he really taught me the game. You essentially take control of like a Greek pantheon god and its worker placement, but there's some restrictions on how you can do the worker placement. Everybody's got a player board with a unique setup and unique unlocks and stuff, so each god plays very differently. We had a good fun game. Um, it ended with Apollo winning outright with the uh, clear your board and you automatically win condition. And I do think Apollo is overpowered. I mean, I'm sure some people will say otherwise, but we are a bit suspicious about Apollo. He's an expansion character, which usually means not playtested well enough, because this is an expansion released on the time of the game was released. And the gods all typically have some strength and flaw. Apollo doesn't seem to have a flaw. He just seems to be very powerful and doesn't have to care about, you know, shards to place out people. And the only way you can kind of combat him is that you have to nerf yourself by taking um these like uh round cards before they do but it's very difficult when they're in first internal it's kind of weird but yeah i we're not convinced that apollo is a balanced character but aside from that blemish the game is still good fun great artwork and it's one that i'll happily play more certainly i think hades was a little bit um not the most powerful in the world. You kind of forced your pigeonhole into a particular way to play him, unless you want to like really suck at certain aspects. And you know he's decent, but I, I mean, he's got flaws. Apollo didn't have any flaws, you know. But I did all right with Hades. I think it came sec. Well, we lost outright, but I think I would have easily come second or third. You know, we will have to see. But as yeah, a, a decent enough game. But. Other than that, I, I think I did a, another game of Great Western Trail New Zealand. And in fact, we even played Great Western Trail New Zealand last night with the friends. And I know it's like crazy. Why am I playing Great Western Trail when I hate the game? Well, I do hate the first edition of Great Western Trail. I do still hate that game. I have not played the second edition version, although I don't particularly want to. But my friends are telling me that I should play second edition with the Wales to the north because it's more like New Zealand. I will give that a try. If they, if my friends want to play that, I will give that a try and give it an honest try. But Argentina, I have no care about. New Zealand, though, it's more open. I like these uh, different cards that you have each game. There's more options. There's more strategies. I went full-on buildings in my one. And I actually won, convincingly, with a builder strategy. Something which is almost damn near impossible in the first edition of Great Western Trail. Unless the stars align for you. But... Here I was able to tax the opponents like crazy with the setup we had and make a lot of money and just build more buildings. It was really good fun. And as I say, I think New Zealand is the Great Western Trail 
for me. You know, everybody's got their favourites, and I know some people who hate the New Zealand one. I don't get why. I think there must be these people who just want to be punished. And it's like, okay, fine, we've got a bunch of masochist uh, Great Western Trail players or something, but I want something a bit more open. I mean, it's not like you could, you can get away with everything in this game. You can still paint yourself into a corner, but this one I just think does better, and sheep are better than cows. You know, I like sheep more than I like cows. What can I say? But, yeah, I just... I just think New Zealand fixes a lot of the problems that I had with the original Great Western Trail in this final iteration of the game. I don't know if they're going to do any more of these. I mean, print money, I guess. You know, they don't have to change much about the game. They just have to tweak a few things. But the tweaks that they do here are good. I like it. And it's a game that I'll happily play. Uh, own it? Probably not. The setup is a bit of a chore. And I don't know if the solo is any good in this. Can you even play it solo, actually? Let's have a look. Yes, you can play it solo. Uh, let me know in the comments, what's the solo mode like for Great Western Trail New Zealand? Because if the solo's good, maybe I could be convinced to have this in my collection. We shall see. I don't think I would buy it just for multiplayer when I've got friends of mine who have the game already. But uh, if it's a good solo mode, I might consider it. We shall see. Uh, but anyway, no, what else did I play? Uh, well, obviously, the three games that I can mention briefly are... <laughs> the ones that I loved a bit and was teaching. So, of course, it is impossible to have a single convention in the UK now without several games of hegemony being played. That's how big it's hit over here. It's kind of insane. Bit of cold coffee. Might have to refill my drink later before this is over. But this game, oh yeah. I mean, I still love it. You know my thoughts on it. Check out my review. Um, but this one... You know, always gets played by multiple parties at every UK convention now. It has to happen because it's the perfect time to do it. And yes, I played two games of this. I played a four-player on the first game on Friday and then joined another game on Saturday evening, which went on until 1.30 in the morning. That was a... <laughs> it was a good fun game, but we had a fourth player turn up at the last minute who hadn't played the game before. Uh, they'd watched videos, but they picked it up very quickly. I'll give them credit. They actually were a threat during the game. But when you add that fourth player in, it takes longer, and we started quite late. So, yeah, it, this one was one that went on a bit into the night. It didn't drag. It's just, dang, maybe we should have started a bit earlier. But the first game I taught on Friday, 9 o'clock in the morning, great. Loved it. I had a great time. Who was I playing? Uh, I think I was playing... Did I play the Capitalists? Yes, I think I played the Capitalists. And did I win? I can't remember if I won or not. I think I did. I, I either won or I came second, but I feel like I won it. Um, or did the State win? I can't remember, but... Either way, I... Maybe, maybe I came second or something, I can't remember. But it was definitely a close game for like me as a capitalist, uh, you know, doing what you do as a capitalist. Although, I think I need to start um, taking more loans as the capitalist. I think I'm a little bit too scared to take loans because of being an accountant and playing a lot of economic games like that. So, maybe I need to be a little bit more frugal with the loans in Hegemony with a capitalist. And that would improve my ability to play that faction. But, still did good with what I had. And, again... Love this game. It's so interactive. It's so well. It's so thematic. It's just, it's such a beautiful design with perfect reference aids for memory joggers. And, oh, I mean, I love this. It's so good. So, so good. But one thing with it is that, you know, the funny thing with this is that if you go on to Board Game Geek, there is a thread for every faction in this game saying it's overpowered. 
This is one of the few games that actually has a thread for every class saying it's overpowered, which is pretty impressive. Now, do I think any of the classes are overpowered? Um, it's complicated. Uh, I don't think... I don't think one is necessarily overpowered, but in terms of how easy they are to play, it makes a difference. Um, the middle class can do very well if they get going and somebody who knows what they're doing is playing them, but they are a harder one to make work. And in the second game, I had to play the middle class politically. Yeah, I had a bad start with Prosperity. I wasn't making enough stuff to sell off because I ended up with two of my purple buildings in the early game. So I built my radio station and the other thing to go with it. So I wasn't making many resources to export. It meant that I wasn't that self-sufficient for Prosperity. But because I was generating seven cubes for influence every turn, or every round... I was very heavy on the political tables, so I was getting victory points through that, keeping everything kind of in the spaces where I wanted them in order for me to survive, while hampering the capitalist and the st uh, working class as much as possible. So that was a very different way to play middle class, and I won. I did win with the middle class just. Like, literally, I think working class was behind slightly, but not by much, but the other three of us, we were neck and neck for a lot of the game, and with the end game scoring, I think a few points were in it. Uh, between first and second so yeah only just one but I had to go heavy politics in this game and it was a very different way to play I do admit but I do think that if I was to say right if you're going to put a gun to my head and say Luke tell me which one of the classes in hegemony that you think is the most overpowered I would say the state the state is my chosen one now I don't think it's crazy overpowered um, but in terms of how easy it is to do well with these classes, doing well with the capitalist is quite tricky. I mean, as I say, you've got to be very frugal with the loans, I think, and you've got to be able to pay them off, and you've got to fight hard to get the wages low and the tax low, because otherwise you're going to tank. But the working class is a very easy class to play, but I wouldn't call them over. I think they're quite balanced. They have their issues, but they are they can be strong as well. The middle class takes a bit of work to get going, but if you do make them work, they will do well. The state kind of does well just by playing them. You know, you have to play pretty badly as the state to end up in a situation where you can't, you know, do well. Because people are going to take your state benefits. Because trying to convince new players particularly that the state benefits are not always to be taken is quite tricky to do. Every time they say, oh, free stuff, they go and grab it. Whereas I didn't take a lot of the state benefits. Because I'm like, look, if you take a state benefit, they get victory points. And they are already ahead. Why would you give them more? If you don't need the money, if you don't need the resources right now, don't just take it because you can. Um, but the other problem is, is that the state has those free tracks that they're trying to balance. And in some games, it can go badly. So it doesn't go that high. But in other games, the state can get those permanent tokens. And in this case, uh, in the first game, it wasn't too bad. I, I can't remember if the state did well with that or not. But the second game, the state was able to get a lot of their permanent shields out early which meant their their free tracks were constantly high. And if their tracks are constantly high, then they're getting a ton of points. You know, the lowest two track the lowest two markers for points, you know, they're getting like ten victory points at in the end of every round, and it's very difficult to catch up with that. So it it, it I think the state can sometimes go out of control very easily because I think other players don't quite know how to combat them as well. Um, you know, I managed to get 
I couldn't get them to tank. You're supposed to, you really do need to get the state to tank to the IMF at some point. And sadly, I couldn't do it because the others weren't chipping in to help. Um, but also, you kind of want to get it so that the state, uh, you know, can't necessarily, like, please everybody. And obviously, you don't want to take their state benefits and that. But we did have one point where they lost a few victory points to a demonstration and good because we put them in a situation where the state physically couldn't get out of it they didn't have the means to do a vote or change their fiscal policy or anything and obviously the rest of us weren't going to lose anything because we'd maxed out all our slots so it's like no state you're going to lose six seven victory points here and um tough you know we needed them because they were miles ahead and i think that's probably one of the things that cost them the game but they need it needed to be done otherwise they would have run away with it but yeah, I don't think I've lost a game as the state. I might have lost one, maybe in the early days, but these days when I play the state, I can't recall when I've lost. Um, you know, I, I play the state quite well. You know, I know how the other three classes work. I'm very good at that whole... I love that whole manipulation of the players type thing and getting people to do what I need them to do. So I played the state quite well, I think, and I don't think I've lost it with them for a long time. But... I think they're quite easy to make work well. Now, I wouldn't give it to a new player. If you give it to a new player who doesn't know the game well, the state will probably lose because the state needs to understand the other three. But if you do understand the game well, then a state player can be bloody powerful. And so they're the ones that I would have put, if I was to say, right, out of all four factions, this is the one that's most powerful, I would say the state. People are going to say the capitalists, people are going to say the working class, people are going to say the middle class. The thing with this game is that everybody is saying that every class is overpowered, which has to speak volumes to say that this game is actually more balanced than you think it is, but it does depend a lot on what players do, experiences, how the game goes, so it's very difficult to call that kind of thing with hegemony, but... I love it. I played it twice. I even was tempted to play it twice in a row because another group was playing it straight after I finished this first one. I love this game. <laughs> it's just a great game. Uh, what else did I do? I did a Kanban EV game. Uh, so Kanban EV is my favorite deserter, spoiler alert, but uh, <laughs> you know, for the top 100. But yes, of course, Kanban is my favorite. And this one is such a great uh, re-implementation of the uh, Stronghold Games version. It looks good. The components are fantastic. The artwork and graphic design is sound. Um, I just love this game. It is a thematic Euro with multiple strategies that you can take. And it causes a lot of good banter. And this was another fun game where I think we taught in two new players. And one person knew what they were doing. And he was definitely the threat. Although saying that, one of the new players did actually at the end beat him from endgame scoring so uh yeah don't um don't write people off early in this game that's what i say but i was struggling to get a lot of my personal garage set up it um i took a slow route i was doing a little bit of training early uh got caught out by sandra a couple of times in our mean mode and you know quite heavily but i knew it was coming i think one one i made a mistake and one i knew it was coming and just accepted it but i was biding my time because i was what i was doing was I was um, getting my designs ahead of time, so I knew what to test. I was focusing on black uh, Tesla cars because they were one of the objectives for the end game. So I was focusing very much on the end game score tile. But also, I was very opportunistic with the speech bubbles because this actually became kind of a, a meme here. In this game, you have speech bubbles you can earn for various things. So you, when you meet the 
you get a lot of designs in that or when you train up in certifications or when you meet customer demand for the assembly line, you get speech bubbles. I had a turn where when I was trying to pump out black Teslas, I ended up pumping out a bunch of other cars for 2VP per car and I spammed the assembly so that not only did I earn about six, eight victory points, something like that, I also always met demand with everyone I chucked out. So I overloaded myself with speech bubbles. I kid you not, by the end of the second, by the time we got to the second meeting, I had enough speech bubbles to do the entire third meeting without, oh no, no, sorry, we only had two meetings. Uh, yeah, by the end of the first meeting, I had enough speech bubbles to do the second meeting and then some. You know, like I was literally the loudest person in the meetings because I had all the bubbles and other people managed to get some as well but I could easily not have to hunt more down so they had to go out of their way to get them and I'd already done it but it meant that my victory points for doing well in the game were less to do with my board and tested designs because I didn't have many of those for me it was the meetings whenever we got to the meetings and there was only two of them if there was three of them I would have won by a classic mile but there was only two sadly because Sandra kept skipping uh, um, places because other people were scared of her and the other guy who knew what he was doing um, was like constantly avoiding her or trying to you know meet her demands I mean we actually turned it into a meme saying are you actually sleeping with Sandra because she has been very nice to you and horrible to us lot and I think something's going on here and where did you get that black Tesla from you can't afford that on your salary it's like <laughs> it's stuff like that but in this meeting I could just go on pretty much every objective get some points, do my personal one, go on other people's, and so that was how I managed to win the game. Not by much, it was a close game, but it was the meetings that did it for me. But man, you know, everybody was taking the mix, saying, it's like, right, it's the meeting time. I have a voice, I will say everything. It's like, <laughs> I was just like able to speak, and it was like, oh, right, the meeting's over. No, 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 I have more to say. And the, and the joke is like, everybody's already left the room, and I'm just left there with the PowerPoint presentation going, I spent time doing this, I'm going to talk. It's like, <laughs> it's just kind of insane, but... This game generates that kind of fun because the theme is relatable, it's fun, it's strong. Uh, this game is just brilliant. Love it, love it, love it. And then finally, uh, before I wrap this podcast up, a quick mention of Deep Rock Galactic. Yes, I do love this game. This is a scenario-based perfect video game port of the sorry board game port of the video game which i still play it's still fantastic you know pick up and play shoot them up co-op dwarfs love it um the community is decent as well maybe not perfect they are a little silent at times and there are a few jerks but for the most part pretty good <clears throat> but i still get a kick out of playing the solo or playing it with other players i taught three new players they'd never played the game before one person had only just bought the video game so I'd barely played it, so this was mostly teaching people who had not played Deep Rock Galactic before. And they got it easily, I can teach half the game as we're playing it, I mean this is one advantage this game has, you can teach most of the rules while you're playing the game, you don't have to do them up front teach. I gave them options to tweak all their weapons, because you know, it normally says just dish out one gun, one grenade and that, I like to dish everybody out two of each. So you get two primary guns, two secondary, two grenades, Pick your combination of the three and do it like that. Because I just think it's more fun to have some choice. But we played a very specific map. We played the Essen map. So at Essen, they were giving out a promo map for the game. And it looked like a hard mission. So I thought I'd save it for this one. Because one thing that Deep Rock Galactic maybe has against it is it's 
if you play it on the lower difficulties and the earlier scenarios, you're pretty much going to win. Like, it's not the most difficult game to win, but it's still fun. You have to play really at hazard level 3 to have a challenge, and even then you probably want to play on the veteran maps. We played the Essen map. It's called um, Eggs and Essen or Eggs and something. I don't know. It's, it's something like that. Um, but basically, it was a promo map there. Whew, it was pretty hard. Um, we had a start where we ended up with a double swarm card laid out early. And then the swarm marker kept going up. And we had to deal with that, which slowed us down a lot. And, oh my god, this was down to the wire. I mean, the time was ticking. We'd managed to get the objectives done. We were rushing back to the drop pod. I was able to get in there first. But, sadly, we lost. And this is probably the first time I've lost the game, actually. I mean, it's difficult to lose this game. I've had ones where it's been close. But this is the worst, first one, I think, where we've outright lost. Hazard level 3 on the Essen map. And we probably could have done it if certain things had gone well. But yeah, <clears throat> this is a game where I think you do have to play it on hazard level 3 minimum and then move up to 4 or 5 to make it a bit harder because it really does, like, it shortens the timer and makes stuff a bit stronger. But yeah, the Essen map, there's a lot of uh, caverns and pits you have to traverse. Uh, there's a double reveal for hidden tiles, which can lead to some crazy swings in terms of baddies. Uh, the it's very claustrophobic there's not a lot of space to move around and so this one is not an easy mission uh the essen one i don't have a picture of it unfortunately but um it's they say if you were at essen and you were able to get a copy of it or maybe somebody will put it on bgg as the image and then you can just copy the scenario image because that's all you need <coughs> sorry i had to take a cough there i'm running out of i've got no fluids um but yeah Still love the game. We barely lost. I mean, if this was a video game, then the I would basically be the only one that survived and we'd score less. But in the board game, all of you got to get to the drop pod. And we didn't. The swarm marker fell off the timer track before all four of us could get in there. But oh, it was close. And we tried. And it was good fun. So another hit for what is a fantastic scenario-based game. I waited forever for this to come out <clears throat> on the Kickstarter deliveries. And it didn't disappoint. It was worth the wait. Cannot wait to do the expansions. Hopefully I'll be able to do something with the expansions. Uh, maybe get some review copies of those uh, from the publisher. I've met them at Essen. So it would be good to do some content on those when they release. But yeah, looking forward to more stuff for this game. Right. I am struggling because I didn't give myself a lot of drinks. So I'm going to wrap things up there. But there you go. Some reports of some games and how they played. Uh, HandyCon, uh, two reviews for Dr. Finn's game. So this is quite a packed episode for 57 minutes. But I'm going to wrap things up there. So I will try and get on with other stuff today. Uh, I, I, my throat's going, so I probably can't record anymore today. But I'll certainly try and get on with some editing. And uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you're in Iceland and you're at this retreat of Hilmar's, then I'll see you there by all means. Feel free to say hi. I look forward to playing some games with you. But otherwise, I hope to see you at some point in the future. So cheers for everybody for supporting the show as always. And uh, remember, as always, it's only a game. And I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple show. Take care, everybody.